0: All right, guys, so we're going to wrap up Zechariah. Today, we're in Lesson 35. We're going to finish up with Zechariah. Next week, we're going to get into Malachi, which is the last book, okay, of the minor prophets. So today, remember I told you I was going to try to do this in one week, but it really was interesting that I thought that I needed to take it in two weeks because that final section, uh, chapter 9 through chapter 14, deals with the whole issue of the Messiah. And some of it is very interesting. And and as you read it, you realize he's talking about Jesus. But he's talking about Jesus like 400 years before Jesus shows up. You know what I'm saying? And so the first part was the rejection. So we saw how the nation rejected. Now when we get into chapter 12 through 14, we're going to see the Messiah enthroned. And you're going to get some information. So even for us, this is yet future. And what's going to be described here, I'm going to place it at the very end of the tribulation. So it's going to be right at the very end when Jesus comes back. And so unlike Revelation, which tells us a lot of information, Zechariah is going to tell us what's going on with Israel at that moment. Okay? Okay. He's going to tell us some things about what's going on with the nation Israel, the remnant of Israel that's left, and it's going to give you a perspective of what's going on as far as how far does their unbelief go, and then how do how do they all of a sudden decide to embrace the Messiah, okay? And so this information is going to be talked about today. So let's look, first of all, we're going to look at chapter 12, look with me first of all, the physical deliverance of Jerusalem. We're going to see this in chapter 12 through 13, but we're going to focus first of all in verses 1 to 9. So here is what the prophet writes, okay? The oracle of the word of the Lord concerning Israel. Thus declares the Lord who stretched out the heavens and founded the earth and formed the spirit of man within him. Behold, I'm about to make Jerusalem a cup of staggering to all the surrounding peoples. The siege of Jerusalem will also be against Judah. On that day, I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it will surely hurt themselves, and all the nations of the earth will gather against it. And on that day, declares the Lord, I will strike every horse with panic and its rider with madness. For the sake of the house of Judah, I will keep my eyes open when I strike every horse and the people with blindness. Then the clans of Judah shall say to themselves, the inhabitants of Jerusalem have strength through the Lord of hosts, their God. On that day I will make the clans of Judah like a blazing pot, in the midst of the wood like a flaming torch among the sheaves. They shall devour to the right and to the left all the surrounding peoples, while Jerusalem shall again be inhabited in its place in Jerusalem. And the Lord will give salvation to the tents of Judah first, that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem may not be surpass that of Judah. On that day, the Lord will protect the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the feeblest among them on that day shall be like David, and the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord going before them. And on that day, I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Folks, what's being described here is what we know as from revelation is the battle of armageddon okay the final battle so here's what i want you to first of all see the lord proclaims that he is the one who created the heavens the earth and mankind so he starts off by before he's kind of announcing what he's going to do here or what's going to happen he's kind of reminding the reader i'm god i'm the one who created everything i created the heavens i created the earth I'm the one who breathed breath in the man, okay? I'm the one who breathed breath in the man. So this is God speaking, all right? Jerusalem will become a place of judgment for those nations who besieged the city in Judah. So the place of Judah, Jerusalem, that area is going to become a place of judgment for all the nations of the world. Okay, Now, let me just stop for a moment. When we talk about nations of the world, you and I think in terms of borders. Okay, We think in terms of, well, United States, we have a border. We have a border with Canada. We have a border with Mexico. You know what I'm saying? We have our oceans. That's the United States, that, that place, landscape of borders. We think of Europe and the borders they have and everything. In their day, there were no borders. It was people's. When you talk about nations in the scripture, you're talking about people groups. In fact, in the New Testament, the whole issue of nations that is translated nations is ethnicities, ethnic groups, which they're where they are fluctuates, right? Okay? Where they are fluctuates. In fact, right now, you know, we've got throughout the world, not just here, people coming across the southern border. I don't know if you paid attention to the news. There's migration all over the world right now and other nations not knowing how to handle it. We're not the only ones that don't know how to handle it. That's happened for what? Forever. People groups moving, okay? That's not, I'm not giving you any commentary about what we should do about it. I'm just saying what you're seeing is natural to mankind, and that these nations, these ethnicities of the world, are going to be judged. And the final place of judgment is going to be Where? In Israel yeah it's going to be in Israel okay we know it's in the valley of Megiddo later on okay now on that day Jerusalem will become a heavy stone for all the peoples as the nations will gather against it so it's going to be a problem basically a heavy stone here is like they're going to be a problem and anyone who tries to lift the stone the prophet says is going to be what hurt okay It's going to be hurt if you try to deal with this stone it's going to be a, a, a stumbling block for everybody the phrase the day refers to the future final battle which is armageddon when it talks about the day here and in this passage he uses that phrase the day many times in this passage he's talking about what happens at the end in fact, whenever we see that in the Old Testament, the day, the day of the Lord, it's talking about the end. Judah and Jerusalem will experience victory as the nations are defeated. And that's what he's pointing out here, is that they're going to experience victory. So that brings us, how do we know that? Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 21. What is that? Revelation 19, 11 to 21 is where the rider appears... On a white horse with a sword coming out of his mouth. And the saints of God will be with him. And what? And he will bring judgment and kill them all. Who's that? That's the second coming passage. The second coming of Jesus. Now, let's go on now. We're going to look at the spiritual renewal. There's got to be a spiritual renewal of, of, of uh, Jerusalem. And we're going to see that in chapters tw- 12, verse 10 through chapter 13, verse 9. Okay, here it is. And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look on me, on him who they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for the only child and weeps bitterly over him as one weeps full over a firstborn. Wow. So God's going to pour out a spirit on them. What spirit's that, folks? The Holy Spirit. And they're going to look on the one whom they have pierced. Who's that? And what's their response going to be? Mourning. Because they're going to realize what they did, right? They rejected the Messiah, isn't that This is interesting. This is talking about Israel when they look on who, folks? They're going to come to repentance. Okay, let's keep going on. On that day, the morning in Jerusalem will be as great as the morning for Hedad-Rimen in the plain of Megiddo. Now, you're wondering, what is that? That is where King Josiah, one of the most popular kings in Israel, Judah, at the time, King Josiah, was killed, and it talks about the mourning of when he died, because just a few, just a few, with his sons later, Babylonians would come, and they would take them away into exile. But when King Josiah, who was a godly king, died, there was a great time of mourning. The land shall mourn, each family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself, and their wives by themselves, and the family of the house of Nathan by itself, and the families by themselves, the family of the house of Levi by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the Shemites by itself, and their wives by themselves. are going on. So it's talking about who's going to be there. So then verse 13, On that day there shall be a fountain open in the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanliness. And on that day declares the Lord of hosts, I will cut off the names of idols from the land so that they shall be remembered no more. And also I will remove from the land the prophets and the spirit of uncleanness. And if anyone anyone again prophesies, his father and mother who bore him will say to him, you shall not live, for you speak lies in the name of the Lord. And his father and mother who bore him shall pierce him through When he prophesies on that day, every prophet will be ashamed of his vision when he prophesies and he will put, not put on a hairy cloak in order to deceive, but he will say, I'm no prophet. I'm a worker of soil for a man sold me in my youth. And if one asks him, what are these wounds on your back? He will say, these are the wounds which I've received in the house of my friends. I'll explain that to you here in a moment. Okay. Okay. Look at me at verse 7. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds shall be cut off and perish. One-third shall be left alive. And I will put this third into the fire and refine them as refined silver and test them as gold is tested. And they will call upon my name, and I will answer them. And I will say, they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is my God. All right, so let's take a look at this now. This is a spiritual renewal. All right, so first of all, verses 10 through 14, the repentance. Repentance. The Lord will pour out his spirit of grace and supplication on Israel. So up to this point of his coming, they don't understand, which is like right now, Paul says they're under partial blindness. Do you understand? They don't understand who the Messiah is. But on that day when he comes back to rescue them, the Lord will pour out his spirit on them and it will be one of grace and supplication, okay? And this will allow Israel to look on the one whom they have pierced. When the spirit comes and opens your eyes, you understand, right? So when the spirit comes on them because the Lord's gonna pour out his spirit, their eyes will be opened, the blindness will be lifted. And what? What? they'll understand whom they pierced. Now, what do you think their reaction is going to be? It's not going to be like, oh, wow, wow. No, no, it's going to be mourning. Okay, so they will mourn for the Messiah whom they have rejected. They're going to be weeping, mourning, great mourning, because they're going to realize they just went through all of this through these thousands of years because they rejected the one who could save them. Okay? Future mourning of Israel is compared to the morning of King Josiah when he was killed at Hidad Riman. I already told you that. Now, one of the things I want you to point out here is that it's the Lord who opens their eyes. Okay? Now, what's, what's an implication for us? Okay. So when you and I have loved ones who, who don't believe that one of the things that I think is very paramount for you and I is, is that we pray. Now, how do we pray? We don't just pray that they get saved. I'm going to tell you what you need to pray because over in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it tells you that it's not that our gospel is veiled. It's that they are blinded by who? the God of this world. Who's that, folks? Who's the God of this world right now? Satan, right? So one of the things I think we need to pray, because their eyes have to be open. Who can open their eyes? Yeah, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Can you open their eyes? No. In fact, I think by now, some of you, if you've been talking to your loved ones who don't know the Lord, you've realized, what can I do? I can't get them to see, right? That's the frustration sometimes that we have trying to reach our lost loved ones. I can't get them to see. So what we need to be praying is, Lord, your spirit is the one who opens eyes to who you are. Please open their eyes. See, this is what's happening with Israel, isn't it? At the very end, when they're facing the nations of the world coming against them for whatever reason, Jesus shows up because he's fulfilling the promises of protecting them, goes back all the way to Moses. The Spirit will come on them and their eyes will be opened and they'll realize whom they have pierced. And they'll mourn. Repentance comes with understanding who he is. Do you understand? With who he is. Now, what happens on that day? So here's here's the blessings that happen. On that day, a fountain will be opened to cleanse Israel from its sin and uncleanness. So what has God got to do? He's got to cleanse them. You know what I'm saying? He's got to cleanse them. The Lord will remove their idols from the land, and they will be remembered no more. They will no longer be remembered. They're idols. One of the interesting things I, 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 I've, about the people of Jewish descent right now, there are those who are Orthodox who worship the Lord, but there's a great majority of them who are not Orthodox. And, and, and I've read in different places where they'll say that they were taught, you can believe whatever you want, just don't believe Christianity. So you'll find Jews that are Buddhists and Jews that are, that are worshiping other, other things. They're Jewish by ethnicity, but they have one thing they're not supposed to believe in Jesus. So they have other gods still. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? And so on that day, the Lord will remove the idols. He'll remove the false prophets from them. Here's the other thing. The Lord will remove false prophecy and the false prophets from the land. They'll be no longer having people telling them wrong things in the name of the Lord. In fact, the false prophets will forego their practices for the fear of the Lord's justice. In fact, what he describes here, remember what he says, when, when, when they'll they'll no longer wear whatever their garments are that identify them as prophets, they'll quit doing that, and, and then they'll say to them, well, what do you do for a living? Let's say Rob was a prophet, okay, a false prophet. He, he would be afraid now in the time of the Lord being there of being identified with a false prophet, so he doesn't want anybody to know he's a false prophet. Okay? So, hey, Rob, what do you do? I'm a tiller of the soil. And I was sold from my youth. So I, I, I getting away from saying he was a prophet. And it, well, what are those marks on your back? Because in their false prophecy and in their re, false religious beliefs, they would hurt themselves, cut themselves. If you think, go back to 1 Kings when you talk about Uh, Elijah on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal, one of the things that they did was cut themselves trying to get their God, Baal, to respond. And I'll say, what are those scars on your back? Oh, I got those wounds in the house of a friend. I got beat up or whatever. That's what those are. I mean, they're gonna, they don't want anybody to know that they were a what? False prophet because they're afraid. Okay? They're afraid of the Lord's justice. Okay? So that's what we see what's going to happen. So they're going to be, the false prophecy, the false, everything's going to be removed from them, all right? So they're going to be cleansed. Now, what's next? He gives a poem. You're like, okay, what's this poem? He gives a poem that describes what's going on. So here's here's the poem concerning the Messiah. The Messiah or shepherd will be struck. We already know that, right? He'll be struck. The people... Or sheep are scattered. Would you agree with that? They're scattered throughout the world. Started in AD 70 with the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple by the Romans, was completed by the Romans in AD 139 when the Roman emperor was fed up with the rebellion of the Jews. He basically went in and wiped them all out in Israel and scattered what was left throughout the known world. And they are scattered throughout the known world today. Today. I mean, think about my surprise when I'm reading that there was a group of Jews in China who look like Han people, who look like Han Chinese, but they're of Jewish descent and they go back to, they immigrate back to Israel because they're descendants of Jews. Okay. They're, so they're not throughout the entire world. The people, the sheep, or the people or the sheep were scattered. The remnant will call on the Messiah. This is what happens in the end. The remnant will call on the Messiah and what? Be saved. Why? Because you notice what he says. At that end in the tribulation, two-thirds of them are going to die. One-third will be spared. That one-third is the remnant, and they will respond. Do you understand what I'm saying? When their eyes are open, they'll respond. All right, so then now... The king comes, the king returns is what chapter 14 is. So let's take a look at this. We'll look at it a little bit by a little bit. Let's first of all look at verses one to five. Behold, the day is coming for the Lord when spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst for I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle. The city shall be taken and houses plundered and the women raped. Half of the city shall go out to exile. The rest of the people shall be cut off from the city then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. And on that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley so that one half of the mount shall be moved northward northward and the other half southward. And you shall flee to the valley of my mountains, for the valley of my mountains shall reach to Azil, and you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come, and all the holy ones with him. And all the holy ones with him. Sound familiar? Okay, here's what it's talking about. The Deliverer comes. On that day, Jerusalem will be defeated and plundered. Again, it's talking about what happens in the end, right before he comes. I mean, they're at the point of almost being annihilated. I mean, Jerusalem is defeated, and things aren't good. Do you understand? Things are not good. The Messiah will come and stand on the Mount of Olives to the east of Jerusalem. You ever heard that the eastern skies are going to crack? You ever heard that? Like if you listen to southern gospel music? Some of you don't listen, which is okay, good. It's good that you don't, okay. But if you do, you'll hear him talking about the eastern skies cracking or whatever, that Jesus is going to come from the east. It's interesting, here's a piece of piece of uh, history for you. The old wall of Jerusalem, pretty much most of them are still standing. And there is an eastern gate that is said in the prophecies of the Old Testament through which the Messiah will return. One of the Muslim rulers, about six Uh, four, five, six hundred years ago, believed that prophecy, so guess what he had done? He had that gate sealed up, and it's still sealed to the day. He had it blocked up with stone to make sure that the Messiah, the Deliverer, would not come and go through that gate. Now, by the way, folks, if God shows up and can split a mountain into a valley on that day, do you think a few stones in a gate are going to keep him from walking through that gate no way okay but this is what they were thinking then so all right so the messiah will come stand on the mount of olives to the east of jerusalem the messiah will come with his holy ones who are they chapter 19 of revelation the saints will be with him who's the saints folks yeah you Okay, you're going to be a part of this. like, well, do I need to fight? You don't need to fight. Why do you need to fight when Jesus is the one? You know what I'm saying? He can speak the word and boom, it's done. Do you understand? You're just with him. Okay? Now, let's go on. <clears throat> Look with me, verses 6 through 11. On that day there shall be no light or frost, no, no light, cold or frost, there shall be a unique day which is known to the Lord neither day nor night but the evening time but at evening time there shall be light. On that day living waters shall flow out of Jerusalem half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. And it shall continue in the summer as in the winter. The Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day the Lord will be one and his name one. The whole land shall be turned into a plain from Gibbon Gibbon to Ribbon south of Jerusalem. But Jerusalem shall remain aloft on its site from the gate of Benjamin to the place of the former gate at the corner gate from the tower of Hanel to the king's winepress. And it shall be inhabited, and there shall never again be a decree of utter destruction. Jerusalem shall dwell in security, and this shall be the plague from which the Lord will strike the peoples that war, wage war against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they're still standing on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets, and their tongues will rot in their mouths. That's a pretty descriptive description of their destruction, right? And on that day, the great panic from the Lord shall fall on them so that each will seize the hand of another and the hand of the one will be raised against the hand of the other. Even Judah will fight at Jerusalem and the wealth of all the surrounding nations shall be collected, gold, silver, and garments in great abundance. And the plague, like the plague, shall fall on the horses, the mules, the camels, the donkeys, and whatever beasts may be in those camps. Then everyone who s- survives of all the nations that come against Jerusalem, okay, so there will be people who survive the final battle, okay? Everyone who survives of all the nations that come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, to keep the Feast of Booths. And if any of the families of the earth do not go to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts King, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain. And if the family of Egypt does not go up and present themselves, then on them there will be no rain. There will be a plague for which the Lord afflicts the nations that do not go up to keep the Feast of Booth. There shall be punishment to Egypt and punishment to all the nations that do not go up to keep the Feast of Booths, which is the Feast of Tabernacles, folks, just so you know, okay? On that day, there shall be inscribed on the bells of horses, holy to the Lord. And the pots of the house of the Lord shall be as bowls before the altar. And every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holy to the Lord of hosts, so that all who sacrifice may come and take of them and boil the meat of the sacrifice in them. And there shall no longer be a traitor in the house of the Lord of hosts on that day. All right, let's talk about this. This is what's happening, okay? Here's what I want you to see. The king returns. We've already seen that. We're going to see that he is a, his kingdom is established. On that day, there will be a, a difference. There should be a difference in that there will be no light of day, cold, or frost. So things are going to change environmentally when Jesus shows up. What do you mean environmentally? A spring of living water will flow from Jerusalem continually. It's interesting. It's a pretty arid place. Do you understand? <clears throat> the Lord will be king over all the earth, and he will be the only God. Period. There, You know, Hinduism has thousands of gods. Do you, do you understand? They're very polytheistic. Even some of the other other religions of the world have different gods than the true God. There's only going to be one God now in all the world. He's going to be the ruler of the world. There's only going to be one God. Okay? The land of Judah will be turned into a plain. If you go to Israel right now, there are different parts and different landscapes, but what it's saying is, Judah will now become one open plain. Everything will be leveled. How is that possible? It's God, folks. Okay? It's going to be level. All right? One open plain. In fact... Jerusalem will still be aloft. The only thing that will be high is Jerusalem. Okay? And it will be secure. The Lord will destroy the enemies of Israel with a devastating plague. Wow. <clears throat> Literally their flesh will rot off of them. I mean that's it's not going to be that big of a battle, is it? Do you understand? Those who survive from the nations will come to Jerusalem each year to worship the Lord. So there will be survivors. And those who survive from all over the world are going to come where? At the Feast of the Tabernacles, which is called the Feast of the Booths here. They will come and pay homage to the Lord. Those nations who refuse to come will be punished. What do you mean punished? Well, let's say Clearfield County decides, I'm not going this year. We're not going. We get punished, how? No rain. Think about a a long drought. Do you understand what I'm saying? What kind of effect would that have in our area? Yeah, a pretty big effect, right? Everything will be dedicated to the Lord as holy to the Lord. Everything. There will be on on your horses, if we have horses, there'll be holy to the Lord. The pots will be holy to the Lord. Do you understand? And we'll share in the sacrifices. The only ones who could share in the sacrifices before were the priests, right? But we will all share in them now because we're priests to the Lord. And there will no longer be a need for a Gentile merchant to defile the temple. What do you mean a Gentile merchant? Remember when Jesus cleared out the temple? Who was in the outer court in the court of the Gentiles? Who, Who was out there when he cleared out the temple? Anybody remember? Money changers. What else? Traders of trading what? Doves, sheep. Yeah, and what were they doing? Because you had to have them inspected. In fact, it was a big racket because the merchants were connected with the priests and you had to have them inspected. So let's say I brought my sheep, my lamb, I carried it all the way. And again, let's say Rob's no longer a false prophet. Let's say he's the priest who's inspecting, and I show up with my, my lamb, and I think it's perfect, but Rob looks at it and says, ah, oh, do you see right there? There's one black hair. It's not perfect. So what do you do now? You carry the sheep all over the place, and I would, Rob would say, well, you need to go get an approved one. Where do I get an approved one? Right outside the court of Gentiles. So I go out there, and I go to the, okay, so Rob is now the trader. Let's say he's a Gentile trader now, okay, or, or a trader. I got my lamb here. What do you think? Like, Rob says, oh, you know, it's not really that good. it oh, has got one little black speck there. You know what? I'll give you two bucks for it. Okay. All right, but I need to buy a, a perfect one. Rob says, okay, well, here, I've got some perfect ones. How much are they? Fifty dollars. Do you know what I'm saying? And then they know this from history. Then they would share the prophet with who? The priests. Now, what about that one I just sold with a little black hair or whatever? Pluck the hair out, sell it to the next person. Do you you understand? So he's saying here, the the prophet is saying here, there's not going to be a need for a Gentile merchant. There's not going to be corruption there anymore. Isn't that interesting? And then it ends. That's the end of the book. That's the end of the book. So when it comes, it's going to be a come. And and, and you look at this and you think, wow, I never knew that was in Zechariah. There's a lot in Zechariah, isn't it? About the Messiah and especially about what Israel is going to be like and how they come to repentance, okay? All right, so next week we're going to get into Malachi, the final book.